Good morning. It's good to see uh, those that are present this morning and those who are visiting with us. And we have several that are gone for illness and various reasons, so we're glad that you are here this morning. I'm going to go ahead and pull up these uh, first slides here and um, give you the title of this lesson. Now, hopefully by the time I get to the end of this, you understand how all this ties together. So it's Donkeys, Kings, and Providence, and we'll take a look at 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. We'll look at various places in 1 Samuel, but verse 11 is what we're really kind of focusing in on. And so that will move. In 1 Samuel, in verse 11, 15 and verse 11, God regrets giving king uh, to Israel. And then Israel had asked for a king, and his in God's providence, he had allowed for them to make a choice. And then there's three points we're going to give a consideration to, providence and loyalty. What is providence? And then go find those donkeys, because that's where it kind of all ties together towards the end there. So... I'll pull up this first slide there. Providence and loyalty. Now what kind of inspired this lesson is this week as I was looking at 1 Samuel the 15th chapter about verse 11 it says, and it regretted or God regretted that he had given a king to Israel. And I thought about that for a moment and it's like, wait a minute. (laughs) Why is God regretting? Because he had done exactly what they had asked for. They came to him and they asked for a king. And God allowed him to have that choice and he gave him a king. And now it says that God regretted it even though he warned them against it. But yet they still held on to that idea. No, that's what we want. We want a king. And so God allowed them to have a king. But in all that, and God allowed them to have that choice, it turned out wrong. (laughs) Saul did not turn out to be a very good king. And actually him being king was going to end up hurting the nation. But in 15 and 11 it says that God regretted that he had given him a king. They had made the choice. They were suffering the consequences of it. God allowed it. And now he regrets it. That he gave him a king. And so I sat and I thought about that for a while. And what does that mean? That God regretted letting them and allowing them. Helping to appoint that first king. And basically what that saying is, they made a bad choice, it's hurting them, but their bad choice hurts God also. You ever think about that? That sometimes we make bad choices, and it not only hurts us, it hurts Him also. And so then I got to thinking about providence. And really, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And it's amazing as you give consideration to God's providence, 
how he rules over, controls this world, and at the same time, he allows for man to make choices and have a free will, and then God is still coordinating it all. (laughs) And that word that we use for that is providence. And so, I want us to give consideration, first of all, about providence and loyalty. Because in 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter, that's actually the occasion there where Israel, through Samuel, says that we want to have a king. Samuel was not pleased with the fact that they were asking for a king. And yet God tells him, Samuel, don't take it personal. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Now think about that. It's been almost 400, it's been over 400 years since God had led the children of uh, Israel out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, He entered into a covenant relationship with Israel and between Israel and God. And through Moses, the covenant had been read to them and when it was completed, they all said, we agree. All that the Lord has commanded, we will do. And they entered into a covenant relationship there that day. God was to be their God, and they were to be His people. And God would lead them to the promised land. And in that promised land, He would be their king, and they would be His people. That's the covenant. That's the relationship that they entered into. And they were both to be loyal to that covenant relationship. And as you read between Exodus and 1 Samuel, and we have, and you see over and over and over again where Israel struggles and has real problems with holding up their end of the bargain, so to speak. And now they come to 1 Samuel the 8th chapter, and they've had various issues. And they decide now, we want a king. (laughs) And they're rejecting God. But God doesn't give up on them. And so one of the benefits of studying providence is seeing God's loyalty to His people and to that covenant arrangement. But in order to help us to understand God's loyalty, I want to draw a contrast to that. So I want you to think with me for just a moment, if you will. Think about the world that we live in now. And this is a word that I use, and maybe you'll understand, maybe you'll agree with the way I kind of refer to this. We live in a society, we live in a world that could be referred to as Things are disposable. Right? (laughs) Every Tuesday morning, I get a large bag. I put all of our trash in it. And I carry it out and set it by the curb. I use that bag one time. That's it. Throw it away. (laughs) At our house, sometimes... My wife's not here this morning, so I can say this. (laughs) Sometimes we use paper plates. You ever do that? (laughs) And with those paper plates, you may use plastic silverware. You ever do that? And you use them one time and you throw them away. 
We have various people within this congregation that work in the medical field and they use latex gloves and they use them and they throw them away. I've even heard, I do not wear glasses, but I've heard you can get contact lenses, plastic, and you can just throw them away. (laughs) Maybe somebody could tell me if that's so or not. One of the great inventions of the last, I don't know, has it been 40, 50 years? You women will know what I'm talking about when I mention this. Disposable diapers, right? (laughs) It's one of the great inventions. Use them one time and throw them away. I've even heard of the possibility of them manufacturing paper clothing. No washing, no ironing. Wear them and throw them away. Sounds good, doesn't it? Convenient. No hassle. Use it and lose it. But there's a downside. Because that gets into our thinking. And it gets into our life. Let me give you another illustration that maybe drives this a little closer to home. You all have heard of Mattel toys, right? (laughs) Been around for a long time. One of their best-selling items of all time is a Barbie doll. They've been around for a long time. Mattel has sold millions of them. But now about 30 to 40 years ago, when our society was really moving into that sort of disposable type of thinking for things, those who were in the marketing division of Mattel Toy Company thought, got to thinking about the Barbie doll. Little girls were getting a Barbie doll and they were hanging on to that thing for two, three, four, five years. (laughs) You can't make money when they're hanging on to them that long. (laughs) So they decided we got to have a new improved Barbie. And in order to sort of entice little girls to give up their Barbie for this new improved model, They said, you can trade it in. We will allow you to trade in your old Barbie on a new Barbie. It was a reflection of the time and the society in which we were living in and we were moving into use it and lose it. Throw it away. Get a new one. And so little girls that had had a doll that they had had that for maybe two, three, four years or longer. They had held it, they had cuddled it, they had clothed it, they had washed it. (laughs) They had loved it. And now, trade it in. Get a new one. And so we live in a culture that has been influenced by the disposable. No default divorce. Marriage becomes disposable. There is disposable conception 
It's called abortion. Old people are becoming disposable. I hate to hear that. <laughs> it's called euthanasia. Lives that are looking for convenience, that are looking for no hassle, pain-free, use it and lose it, no long-term commitment. It's disposable. And when you talk about paper plates, that's okay. But when you talk about relationships, it's tragic. Amen. It destroys people. It destroys their self-worth. It destroys trust. Our world depends on relationships. And that takes some work. <laughs> and that takes some commitment. And God knows that people need to be valued. And that there needs to be commitment. And God, through providence, shows his commitment to his creation. He's committed to us. Like he was committed to Israel. And he wanted them to know it. And he wants us to know it. So providence. God's care and provision. We have to keep that in mind. As we think about our relationship with him and his relationship with us. And how it teaches us about loyalty so providence what is it so let me give you the definition a little bit technical at first providence originally indicates foresight that's what the word means and as you stop and think about that what that means is is that God in his foresight can see what it is that we need and he can also look forward and he can see what we're going to need in the future and he can plan for, provide for that. Providence. Providence is the activity of God providing, guiding, caring, accomplishing through natural means. Providence is non-miraculous. We'll talk about miracles in a moment. <laughs> Providence is non-miraculous. It is God acting through lives, personalities, natural laws to provide for His creation and at the same time accomplish His purpose in this world. In providence, God respects man's free will and freedom of choice and does not set those aside. Rather, God allows those 
and still works to accomplish all things according to His will in this world and in our lives. God's foresight and guidance and rule over our lives in this world and this universe as He brings about provision and His will. Sounds a little technical, doesn't it? Providence is very practical. So let me give you some practical examples, illustrations. There's a young lady that we all know. She grew up in Southern California, part of a very nice family. She was homecoming queen at her high school. She ends up moving to Missouri where she meets a young man that grew up in a small town in rural northwest Missouri. But he's just kind of a regular guy. Somehow, this homecoming queen meets this guy. Just a regular guy. And he went to the University of Missouri. They fall in love and get married in Kansas of all places. <laughs> and you got to think, how did that happen? So let me give you an illustration from the Old Testament. One day a father tells his youngest son, I want you to go out in the field and to check on your brothers. He was the favorite son. When he goes out into the field and greets his brothers, they see him and they take him. At first they want to kill him because they're jealous of him. One of them talks him into, no, don't do that. And they throw him in a pit. And then some Midianite traders come by and they pull him up out of there and they sell him to these Midianite traders where they take him down to Egypt He's sold on the slave block and he becomes a servant in an official, an Egyptian official's house. Which you stop and you think about it and then you think at first, well, he got sold, that's bad. But then he ends up being a servant in a very nice house and that's good. And it is for a little while until this man's wife takes a liking to him. She wants to have relations with him. He refuses and when he refuses, she accuses him of sexual assault. That's bad. And he gets thrown in prison. And we think, oh my. But actually it's good. Because he's in prison and he meets two fellas that used to work for Pharaoh. <laughs> and while they're there together, they have a dream. He interprets their dreams. Eventually one of those guys goes back to his job serving Pharaoh. Pharaoh has a dream. And this fellow remembers the young man he met in prison. He said, hey, there's a guy I know that interprets dreams. And Pharaoh says, bring him. And he comes. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh likes that. He makes him second in command over all of Egypt. That's amazing. But then... There's a famine. 
throughout all the land. And people from other lands and nations are coming down to Egypt so that they might buy grain. Guess who shows up? The same brothers that sold him into bondage are now coming and asking to buy grain. And he recognizes them even though they don't recognize him. But after a while, he identifies himself to them. Which scares them almost blind. (laughs) But then they all hug and make up. And it's all good. And he says, is my father still alive? And they say, yeah. He says, go get him. Go get the rest of the family and bring them down here. And so he does. And 75 come down to Egypt and he settles them in the land of Goshen, which is fertile land along the Nile. (laughs) And that family starts to grow. And they grow. And they grow. And that's good. Until Pharaoh dies. And then there's a new Pharaoh. And he's concerned about these Hebrews. And so he enslaves them. And we say, oh, that's bad. But actually, they grow to over a million people living there. Until God sends Moses to deliver them. And we look at all that. And we say, how did that all happen? A young boy went out one day to check on his brothers because his father told him to. And that's what it led to. Now some of you that know me will find this next example interesting. This comes from a Kentucky farmer. (laughs) But he's also a well-known author. His name is Wendell Berry. He writes in a kind of laid-back style and in a common man's logic. He wrote a novel, one of his many bestsellers, that was titled Jaber Crow. (laughs) Jaber is one of the characters in that book. So the book's named after him. Jaber Crook is his name. But the reason why I mention that is because Jaber has something to say about providence. And this is what he says. Often, I have not known where I was going until I was already there. I have had my share of desires and goals But my life has come to me, or I have gone to it, mainly by way of mistakes and surprises. Often I have received better than I deserved. I am an ignorant pilgrim crossing a dark valley. And yet, for the longest time, looking back, I have been unable to shake off the feeling that I have been led. Now make of that what you will. (laughs) And all these things that happened in my life, as I look back, I somehow get the feeling I've been led. 
a well-known Christian speaker, writer, said this about providence. He said, life is not a straight line leading from one blessing till the next until we finally end up in heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road. Switchback after switchback and the point of biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth is to help us feel in our bones, not just to know it in our heads, that God is for us in all of these strange turns. He is plotting the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purpose for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Providence is more than academic. It's more than a definition. It's what we experience. Now let me tell you the difference between miracles and providence. A miracle is when God suspends natural law to do something outside of natural law, without natural law, and against the grain of natural law. That's a miracle. An example, a man who walks on water, that's a miracle. A man who can raise people from the dead, that's a miracle. But providence, And I was amazed when I read this. But I agree with this. (laughs) Another writer said, Providence is greater than miracles because it is God accomplishing His own ends and His own purposes by natural law. By taking all the elements of natural law and blending them together in a masterful way that he achieves his purpose but never interrupts what is the natural and normal course of things. That's providence. It is not God suspending circumstances and acting. It is God taking all the contingencies, all the circumstances, all the actors, all the activities, all their feelings and thoughts and words and somehow with all of it pulling it together to create exactly what he wills. That is more massive than suspending natural law and acting in a moment. Providence. We see it in life. And we oftentimes think, wow, how did that happen? Or we think, wow, why did that happen? What made those circumstances come together? And when I think about that, then I think about Jaber Crow. (laughs) And often I have not known where I was going until I was already there. Providence. Now, let me see if we can kind of put this together from 1 Samuel. Go find those donkeys. 
So where did that all begin? Well, that started in 1 Samuel, the ninth chapter. It was a man by the name of Kish, and he had a son by the name of Saul. And I've oftentimes kind of sat and pondered and thought about how that take place that day. And kind of thinking in modern day terms, I kind of thought, well, maybe Saul was just sitting in the kitchen that morning and he was having a bowl of oatmeal. And his dad, Kish, come walking in and he said, son, the donkeys got out last night and you got to go find them. Take one of the hired help with you. Saul being a young, obedient son, he heads out. Now, what transpires over the next three days is amazing. And I'll just kind of cut to the chase, and I'll tell you this. Saul never did find those donkeys. But those donkeys, within three days, they were back home. And it wasn't because Saul found them. But you know what else is amazing about that? Three days later, Saul comes back home, and guess what? (laughs) He's king of Israel. I sent you to get the donkeys. And you come home a king. How did that happen? Well, if you back up a chapter to chapter 8, Israel has decided we want a king. God's going to allow it to happen. Chapter 9, the donkeys get out. Kish sends his son Saul to go find him. In chapter 10, God's prophet Samuel is headed to this town in the region of Zuk to offer sacrifice. Saul has been wandering around outside of, outside of town here with his friend looking for the donkeys and his servant says, why don't we go ask the prophet? So they head into town. Samuel doesn't know Saul. But God has told him, I'm sending somebody to you. Well, guess who that is? And so Saul finds Samuel. Couldn't find the donkeys, but he found Samuel. And Samuel says, come have a seat at the banquet. In fact, have the best seat. And Saul's kind of surprised by all this. And then afterwards, he says, hang around for a minute. I got something I need to talk to you about. And after it's over, he anoints him as king over Israel. And Saul himself is amazed. I'm the least in my family. And our family is the least in the tribe of Benjamin. Well, now you're king. But in chapter 15, in verse 11, it says God regretted that he had made Saul king. And in verse 26, the same prophet who had anointed him now tells Saul the kingdom is being taken from you. 
See, when Saul started off, he was humble and obedient. But after a while, Saul kind of loved being king. Instead of doing things God's way, he decided to start doing things his way. And so God was going to have to remove him. So in chapter 15 and verse 11, it says God regretted. But I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say God made a mistake. No, providentially what he did was he allowed their decision. It was a bad decision. And one of the things that they should have realized, that relationship that God and Israel had, it wasn't disposable. You can't just throw this away. But you want to know what's amazing beyond that? God allowed that decision. He gave them what they asked for. And when it turned out wrong, and it was hurting the nation, what God wanted them to know from 1 Samuel 15 and verse 11 is it hurts Him too. Bad decisions hurt us but it hurts our God also and when they were hurting when they were turning away you know what God did he didn't give up on he didn't give up he was going to do everything he could to get them back He wants to heal the relationship. He wants to fix it. Events happen in life, don't they? Things happen. And oftentimes we try to explain it or men will try to explain it. And sometimes you will help people say things like, I'm really having a run of good luck lately. Really? Or things go the other way and they say, I'm really having a run of bad luck lately. Really? Or sometimes we may ask the question, how did that happen? And they go, I don't, just by chance, I guess. It just happened. Beats me. How do you really explain the twists and turns in life. Providence is one of the most challenging, most amazing studies in Scripture. God in His wisdom and in His benevolence, subtle, oftentimes unseen, influence upon lives and creation. I want to tell you this about Providence. 
providence rests upon two great truths about God. And the first truth is this, from Psalms 145. God is righteous in all that He does. He does not make mistakes. And secondly, God's love for man leads him to touch men's lives for good. Psalms 37. He touches them for good. God knows our every thought, our every feeling, our every step. And He orders life in such a way as to encourage us to follow heaven's will. You know that? The good and the bad is calling you, is calling me to Him. Proverbs, the 20th chapter, verse 24. A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? On our own, we can't. One of the greatest paradoxes of Scripture is providence. Because while we look back and we think it can be clearly seen, in the moment, it's often unseen. We believe in providence. We just don't talk about it a lot. I believe in providence. But I want to give you a couple of closing examples. Because providence is important for us to understand. In the book of Philemon, in about the 15th verse, you remember the small book of Philemon? Paul's in prison, first time, in Rome. There's a runaway slave from the Lycus River Valley. He has managed to escape from his owner and made it all the way to Rome, and somehow he ends up meeting the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And Paul converts him, he becomes a Christian. And in verse 15 he says, Perhaps he was taken from you for a little while. That you might have him back forever. And not just as a slave, but as a brother. Paul says, Perhaps. Think of his providence? In Philippians, the first chapter, in about verse 12, another prison epistle. And Paul writes to the church of Philippi and he says, Guess what? The things that have happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Here I am in prison. We would think, boy, that's not good. And Paul says, no, it's good. <laughs> it's actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. 
You know how many people he talked to in that first Roman imprisonment? Do you know how many books he wrote? It's almost a God saying, Paul, you need a little time out. <laughs> I need you to sit down, <laughs> not be traveling around all over the country. <laughs> I need you to write some letters for me. <laughs> Paul says it's turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. When he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he said, May our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. What's he praying for? Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I'm just praying for your help. Providence. It touches lives. It provides the opportunity for people to hear the gospel and obey the gospel. Providence gives erring men the opportunity to turn and come back to God. Providence provides for love and encouragement. Providence guides and corrects. And we could multiply examples. You remember when Paul went to Philippi? And originally he had tried to head down to the region towards Thyatira. And the Spirit would not let him go there. And he ends up going over to Macedonia and comes down to Philippi. And lo and behold, who does he meet? A woman from the region of Thyatira. God says, I don't need you to go to Thyatira right now. I want you to go to Philippi. You'll meet somebody from Thyatira and that person can take the gospel. Is that providence? I believe it is. When Caesar kicked all the Jews out of Rome and Paul went to Corinth, guess who he ran into? Priscilla and Aquila. Isn't that amazing? Co-workers for the gospel. So two thoughts as we close in regards to providence. First of all, I want you to keep this in mind. Providence does not lead to approved violation of God's revealed will. Give me an example. I didn't set my alarm. This is not this is just an example. This is not me, okay? <laughs> I didn't set my alarm clock last night. I overslept this morning. So God doesn't expect me to go to church. It must have been his providence for me to oversleep. Nope. You can't use providence for direct violation of God's revealed will. But recognizing the fact of providence, we gain greater and more powerful trust in God because we know his loyalty. And he wants us to be loyal to him. And he wants people to be loyal to one another. In Hebrews, the 13th chapter, in verse 5, it says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. God does all that he can to draw us to him, but he still allows us 
to make choices. But even in those bad choices, we should come to understand the error of our way, and that will help lead us back to Him. God wants us to know of His love, His care, His guidance in this life. And God wants His loyalty to inspire our loyalty. And God wants us to know in the twists and the turns of this life that He is there. And He can work it all for His glory and for our good. If we will turn and come back to Him and trust Him and follow Him. Providence is an amazing step. Donkeys, kings, and providence. It's an amazing story. I want to extend the invitation this morning. If you've never rendered obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, He provides that opportunity even this day to do that. If you're a child of God and you've not been faithful, you've been provided this day an opportunity to do that. If we can help you in any way, make your relationship right with the Lord, we'd want to help while together we stand and while we sing.